Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the world of political and corporate cartoons, there's been a pattern for many years of depicting greed as a hunger. For instance, we may see a corporation personified, right, as a human being sitting at a dinner table. And set out on the dinner table is all sorts of money and cash. And the person is just shoveling that money into their mouth. They're so hungry for more that in their vast consumption, they are swelling up to inhuman and abnormal size. So much so that the many people gathered around at the foot of the table seem small in comparison because they're really about only the size of this personified corporation's feet. So small, right there below that table. We frequently associate greed with a sense of hunger today. And again, it often revolves around money and wealth. But I'd like to posit the idea today that greed is not just about money. It's about a desire to make ourselves more than we really are. Socially bigger, greater honor than we may truly have. Making ourselves seem like something we're not. Greed, in that view, assumes that when we're driving down the interstate or around the city, for that matter, that things ought to go our way when we merge. Seeing ourselves as more moves us to things like shouting, gesturing, or just muttering under our breath how horrible everyone else is on the road because we're more than them. In our families, when we say to ourselves things like, well, how can I get my spouse or how can I get my sibling just to see things my way and do things my way? If they would just do what I'm thinking and telling them, everything would be so much better. (laughs) That may be greed, a viewing of ourselves as more important, sort of a, a swelling up of our sense of honor and self greater than we really are the one who has the keeper of all the right answers and ways of living. Or consider social media. So much of social media moves us to try to put forward a description and picture of ourselves. It looks and sounds like us, but it may be an immensely inflated inversion version of ourselves. We want to at the least fit in or at the most gain more attention and admiration, and so we puff ourselves up in front of others. This hunger to be more important or better than others, it can alter our focus in our relationships. It can keep us hyper-focused on those who are like us or those that we are aspiring to be like or to be better than, all the while directing a negative and haughty gaze upon those who are beneath us, do not live up to our standards of thinking and behaving. And this altered focus often prevents us from caring for others as human beings. We ignore them. We grow blind to them, like the shrunken masses gathered under the table in that corporate cartoon. In our text today, Jesus is at a social gathering, a banquet of sorts at the house of a religious leader. And these sort of banquet meals in those days they were a way of of gaining and maintaining one's social status. You invite people 
who are going to make you look better in the world. You invite people who might be of similar social standing, as well as maybe some people who might be a little bit slightly higher or lower. And if the meal goes well, so does your standing, right? Word of your reputation gets to spread out how good of a banquet you threw. And on top of that, there is this matter of seating that Jesus talks about. Those who sit closest to the host of the banquet are deemed the most important. And proximity to the host could mean good things for you socially in your life in the years and days ahead, especially if you're of lower standing. But the host may want someone of higher social standing nearby, not somebody of lower standing. And so there's all of this sort of wondering and jostling about positions of where should I sit? What is going to be best for me and how I'm going to look to everybody else? Some hungry for honor may try to claim certain seats closer to the host. Please do not, uh, people do not want to be viewed as less, and so they, again, puff themselves up, trying to make themselves seem more than they are so it will go well for them. This is greed, right? It's the same hunger for more, the same hunger that sees people as tools or stepping stones to some alternative goal. It is the same hunger to consume honor and social standing that leaves others despised. For why in the world would you ever invite a bunch of people who are poor or crippled or beggars or marginalized in those days? They can't offer you anything. They, in fact, could completely deflate you and ruin your honor by associating with them. During this banquet, we're told a man is there with abnormal swelling of his body. Today, we would call this edema, right? a medical condition in which the tissues of the body retain fluid. Other translations, older ones, use the term dropsy. It's the same thing. But in the ancient Near East, edema was a common image for greed. We imagine greed as a hunger that swells up a person. They didn't see edema as a result of greed or consumption because it wasn't a hunger but rather a person is swelling up. They are more, they are larger than they really are. And in the midst of all of these people at this banquet, swollen up with a desire to be more than they are, inflated with the prospect of honor and status, Jesus releases the swelling from this man's body. And of all days, it's the Sabbath, we're told. Sabbath is all about release. It's about the release of social pressures upon people that are harmful. It's about the release of people from debt slavery and from bondage. It's about canceling debts and the prevention of generational poverty. It's a time in which the poor, the crippled, the beggars, the marginalized are raised up and provided for. And Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, brings Sabbath into that home. The pressure in that man's body is literally released as he receives life and healing and the ability to go about enjoying a fuller life as God intends. The Lord of the Sabbath comes to bring Sabbath not just for that man, though, but for all people. He comes to not only heal bodies, but to release the swelling of greed that is in us all and afflicts us all. 
As his body is drained of life on the cross, he offers his life for us. His life is healing for our distorted desires as he offers us new life and new desire by his spirit. New desire that we might be fully human as he intends us to be. And by his resurrection, the greatest Sabbath of all has begun. As all those who are broken and oppressed, even by sin and death, the greatest oppressors that there are, are receiving release through him. Jesus brings the Sabbath as a gift of grace for the entirety of humanity, but he also bring, is bringing Sabbath as a way for us to live that helps us to continue to release the swelling of greed that he has released us from. When Jesus tells the people around him, don't seek the seats of honor, but rather take the lowest seat. Or when he says, when you host a banquet, do not invite your family, friends, or rich neighbors, but invite those that cannot repay you and the marginalized. He's calling those around him to live into the Sabbath, to practice that Sabbath release, to practice releasing the hunger of greed that causes them to see themselves as something more than they really are. And this is not so that they can be exalted, right? Sometimes we think of like, oh, okay, this is like good information for like, if you humble yourself, then you get exalted, right? Still thinking about puffing ourselves up. Humbling oneself rather than inflating oneself is not so that we can be exalted specifically, but so that we can better see and engage those who offer nothing. To love and provide for those who may in fact damage our social standing or possibly destroy part of our honor. Jesus continues to bring the gift of Sabbath grace to us. He continues to release us from our our swelling of greed through his crucifixion and resurrection, that greed, that hunger and desire for more, it doesn't define us anymore. Instead, we have been welcomed into his Sabbath rest in which God promises to exalt us on the last day by his Spirit. And this release moves us to see others. When we find ourselves swelling up, whether it's on the interstate driving our car or in the midst of our family relationships or on social media or anywhere for that matter, when we're trying to make ourselves bigger and better than we are, we keep going back to Jesus, to his willingness to humble and empty himself on the cross for us so that we might live. And from the crucified Lord of the Sabbath, we approach the world because he's alive and has been raised from the dead. But Sabbath, though it is a gift of undeserved grace that we live in today, it is also something that Jesus calls us to practice. And he empowers us by the Spirit so that we can live in it. In Jesus' day, he gave the remarkable challenge of taking the seats of least honor, even more remarkably, to host meals and invite those that cannot repay which could be very damaging or offensive in the very least to family and friends if they're not being invited. What might we do today to practice Sabbath in our context? What sort of social banquets, if you will, do we host today? Maybe there's a phrase or an image you can put in your car if that seems helpful. A phrase or image to remind you to invite those that cannot repay you. As you drive through the social banquet that is driving today, 
whether on the interstate or in our city for that matter, to be a servant even behind the wheel. Maybe practicing the Sabbath means developing a practice of relinquishing what we think is best regarding behavior and problem solving. Maybe it involves adopting a curiosity and a willingness to try to see issues through another's eyes, even if it's a sibling or a spouse, to put ourselves in their shoes. Maybe practicing the Sabbath on social media means, for some, choosing to take a break for a while from social media. Or maybe it means clearing out and going through a list of followers and friends because you realize the reason that you have invited them to the banquet, if you will, of your social profile so that you can inflate yourself in their eyes in some way or the eyes of another. Or maybe the, your Sabbath practice on social media simply means you develop some sort of mantra to remind yourself to consider who you are and what Christ has done before you post. The possibilities are numerous for us. None of these things are required, right? None of them. And yet I encourage you to consider something and maybe give it a try. Maybe something entirely different about how we consider living in the Sabbath release Christ has won for us and what it is to practice that Sabbath today. Christ has brought us release. May he empower us as we live in this Sabbath release and walk in humility for the sake of others and to his glory. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.